As you uh, probably know, I am uh, I'm sensitive to exaggeration when it comes to divine guidance and revelation. And, I, and that's the case because I think many do exaggerate their own experiences of divine guidance. As sometimes they do it to kind of bolster their case, kind of get their way, and sometimes it may be just to exalt themselves over others. Sometimes just maybe it's just the way they've learned to talk is just kind of Christianese and how they how they put things. And but you know for whatever reason I, I've just I've I've refused to do it all through the years. I I just will not describe a sense of nonverbal guidance from the Holy Spirit or from God in in verbal terms. In other words, if I ever tell you that the Lord told me to tell you something, you can absolutely believe that that's what I think happened. That I'm not going to take some vague sense of guidance and and kind of inflate the language. I, I'm not going to describe in verbal language something I might be mistaken about. You know, it turned out to be that, that, well, maybe the Lord didn't direct me that way. So so I, I won't say it now, but, but over the past couple of weeks... Uh, I knew David would be filling in for me last week, and I had a few. So it's been more than a week that I have been um, thinking about, before the Lord, hopefully, what I would and should say to you the next time I stood before you in the pulpit, which is right now. Um, And I did really have a sense, and a growing sense, that it should be about love. And, and furthermore, a verse kind of impressed itself upon my spirit. You know, this, uh, the one in Matthew 24 where Jesus is speaking of the end times and he says, the love of many will grow cold. And, I, and as I was thinking about it, I couldn't get away from it. You know, this thought keeps impressing itself on me. And I... And, uh, and maybe I should say at, the, at this point, you know, it's that that nonverbal guidance of the Holy Spirit, that's a thing, too. That's a biblical thing, too. Let me tell you a couple places. Ezra, Ezra 1, 5. Then the heads of the fathers' households of Judah and Benjamin and the priests and the Levites arose, even everyone whose spirit God had stirred up, stirred to go up and rebuild the house of the Lord, which is in Jerusalem. That doesn't say that God told a lot of people that you know that to that that you rebuild the temple, rebuild the temple. But it says that it says that uh, God stirred their hearts to do this thing. They wanted to do it. They couldn't get away. So that's a thing too. See this kind of nonverbal guidance, prompting of the Holy Spirit. That you know that's different than when God told Abram, go forth from your country and from your father's house to the land that I'll show you. you know, that's di- it's something different, but, but it's still real. God stirred the spirits of these heads of households, the tribes of Israel, to, along with the priests, to rebuild the temple in Jerusalem. Or Here's another, Nehemiah 7. Then my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles and the officials and the people to be enrolled by genealogy. The Lord stirred, you see, he put it into my heart. He put it into my heart. So, I, what's Nehemiah? I would love to talk to Nehemiah. Say, what was that like? What was that like? I'm, I'm sure it felt like the Lord. I, I don't think that he would say it was like with Abraham or Abram. Go forth from your father's house. I don't think it would be like that. But he's, 
said this is this is it was in my heart and I wanted to do it and it felt like the Lord to me it didn't come from me but from but from God so anyway so that's the way I would put this I I had uh I had already decided, well, this is what I need to do. I need to talk about love, and it's Matthew 24, 12. That's going to be the text, and I, and I really you know, strongly suspect this feels like the Lord. This, not, this is, uh, it just doesn't feel like something I've thought up. And so I, I'd already decided that's what we're going to do, and I did my, went into NHC on Tuesday to do my usual rounds. You know, we visit... Uh, usually me, but sometimes others too. Katie's helping me sometimes. Katie Wall's helping me when she's uh, when she's available. But we visit people who have just come in to NHC, and uh, leads to a lot of well, you know, we advocate for faith all the time. We build up the faith of the believing and and uh, and urge unbelievers to to believe. You know, encourage them that they have a um, a resource in Him if they'll have it. So I. I, I went in and I went into the room where my folder is. The uh, director there always provides a, a list of the, of the roster of the, who's there, and she's highlighted the ones who've come in recently. And I sat down at a table to transfer from that to a notebook I use. I have a little system that we, you know, write it all down and, and then can go through the rooms in order. And there was a, a, a black lady in a wheelchair whose back was to me uh, you know, seven, eight feet away, pretty close. And she was talking, and at first I thought, she had her back to me. She never did know I was in the room, I don't think. But I was sitting right behind her. And I, at first I thought she was on the phone, but it didn't take her any much time to realize that there's no phone there. There's, she's not on the phone. She's just having a conversation. She's, she's actually not having a conversation because she was the only one talking. She was reading the riot act to somebody... <laughs> who was not there, probably remembering or actually reliving something that happened 30 years ago or 40 years ago or 50 years ago, or maybe, maybe remembering something that never did happen. You know, she was just, you know, had obviously kind of suffering a dementia of some kind. And I was there for 10 minutes or so. And like I say, as far as I know, she never knew I was in the room. She never turned around and looked at me. And, and here's how the and she's talking the whole time, and here's how it went. L-O-V-E. L-O-V-E. That's how you spell love. That's the only way it's spelled. Ain't no other way to spell it. That's the way it's spelled all over these United States. I know. I finished school. I finished school, had a year of college. I know how to spell love. It's L-O-V-E. Next time you open that door, better be L-O-V-E. Better be L-O-V-E. L-O-V-E spells love. Don't be lying to me in my own house. Don't be lying to me. L-O-V-E, that spells love. That's the only way it's spelled. I'll call Oak Ridge Police. I'd be taking you to jail. They'll take you to jail. <laughs> Lie to me in my own house. I'll bring the Oak Ridge Police. I'll call Oak Ridge Police. They're going to say, that lady's right. You wrong. L. O V. You might as well put that book down because you're going to jail. L O V E. That's how it's spelled. That's how it's always been spelled. Don't be telling me any different. I know I finished school. And that's how it went. Like ten or twelve minutes of the whole, <laughs> the whole time. 
And, and I thought, you know, I thought, boy, that's weird. You know, think of what I've been thinking the last, you know, 10 days or so. And I thought, well, now I have to preach about love. <laughs> I have to. I can't do, I can't do anything else. And the, uh, so if anything today hits home, Maybe you should take it as from the Lord and not just as a sermon you enjoyed or didn't enjoy or, you know, not something that would fit in uh, somewhere in the range of how I do <laughs> from Sunday to Sunday. Uh, but maybe you should take it as something from the Lord to you. The, the passage in a little more context is this. I'm going to read, and if you want to read along, in Matthew 24, uh, starting with verse 3. This is Jesus, as he sat on the Mount of Olives, Jesus, of course. The, the disciples came to him privately saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? And Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you're not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. And all, all these things are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they would deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Well, there's a lot in there. There's a lot to talk about in there and to be taught about. But I, but I want to just focus on that one thing in verse 12, which is Jesus says that as the world approaches the very end of the age, as the time of ultimate judgment approaches, at the time of Jesus' return to judge both the living and the dead, to establish the kingdom of God on the earth, as that draws near, he says love will be in short supply. There won't, in many, many people, it will have withered away, shrunk away, gone away, like air leaking out of a, bad tire you know been a slow process but it's been a lot of people it's flat <laughs> it's gone the love of many will grow cold and he doesn't confine it to the world does he he doesn't confine it to the world but it's also among his people because he says he, he says many will fall away well those are believers or at least professing believers Many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. So it's not just the world he's talking about. It's not just nation rising up against nation. It's not just kingdom rising up against kingdom. 
It isn't just the world hating believers, which he says that will be the case too. It's also believers falling away and betraying one another and hating one another. Uh, the Apostle Paul expands on this a little. Let me read 2 Timothy chapter 3, first few verses. But realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come for men, he says, which means people, not just males, but people, will be lovers of self, lovers of money, boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. So, well, for unloving people, there's a lot of love going on there. I don't know if you notice. It says they're generally unloving, but it, it's, it's, uh, but there's love of self, there's love of money, there's love of pleasure. So it's not really that love goes away, but it's redirected. It's redirected. It's away from God. It's away from good. It's away from others. And it's, it's directed to self. Love of money, what's that for? Self. Love of pleasure, who's that for? Self. So in the last days, men or people will be lovers of self. Let me ask you, do you think we're there? Do you think we've arrived at that? You know, what I mean is that that uh, sinners have always been, people, people since the fall have always been selfish, right? It, it all, you know, people have always been selfish. Have we arrived at something new? Has that come to a new level? I, I've seen new stories. Let me get, give you something that maybe suggests, man, we've, we have reached a new plateau in this self-love area i've seen news stories maybe you've seen them too about something called uh, uh sologamy I've, I've also heard it's soligamy but sologamy you know what that is that's uh that's people uh these days you can read about in the news who are marrying themselves do you know that marrying themselves i mean i'm not kidding there's the dress, there's the invitations, there's the ceremony, there's the, there's the ring, one ring, oh, there's the ring, there's the, the cake, everything, there's the reception. Sometimes there's even a church, so-called. <laughs> uh, just no groom, mostly. But, but some, I say no groom, but some, some guys are doing it too. But, 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 you know, what's a wedding without a bride, for goodness sake? As one self-married bride put it, it isn't about being alone, it's about being enough. I'm enough to be, I'm committed to my own happiness. I'm whole, I don't need another person to be whole. I'm fully human, you know, I'm, I, I'm fully whole. I'm, I'm committed to being happy and fulfilled without needing another person and this one person I read about she said her self 
marriage meant that no matter who she may or may not be with in the future, say that, no matter who I may be, it's not about being alone, it's about being enough. So matter, no matter who I may or may not be with in the future, um, she was enough just the way she is, which sounded to me, I thought, well, okay, you're marrying yourself, but it's an open marriage. I married myself in an open marriage, and I think, well, that's probably the best way to do, because if it's not an open marriage and you catch yourself cheating on yourself, that would really be a problem. <laughs> but uh, the marriage would be at risk, right? Now, my point in bringing this up, now, I want to say something about this, and you need, need to get this. My point in bringing it up is not to rail against some, some crazy, you know, something crazy happening out there in the world somewhere you know which, which probably happens in churches right where you rail against sins that that are probably not uh you know in the congregation you're, pre- you're preaching against somebody else you know you're preaching about some evil out there and boy aren't you glad we're not like them and we're not sinners like them look what they're doing now look what they're doing now that's not my point my point in bringing it up is to suggest that if out there on the fringes and that's on the fringes I'd be really surprised if any of you know any of you uh, know somebody who married themselves or were invited to a ceremony of a you know someone's marriage. I, that would be kind of surprised. So it's way out there in the fringes. But I'm suggesting that if out there on the fringes there are some people who are marrying themselves, and it's a thing. Look it up. <laughs> it's happening. If you haven't seen it in the news. If that's happening on the fringes and relatives and friends are going to these ceremonies, going along with them, and, and businesses are catering to it as, as a niche and a trend that they can make some business, I'm suggesting that if that's happening on the fringes, that's an indication that the whole culture is moving significantly in the direction of self-love. You, you see what I mean? <laughs> I don't know that that's ever happened before in history. People marrying themselves? Maybe it is something, you know, we're, we're shifting in this direction. Things that have been unthinkable before, even in a world of self-absorbed, selfish people, which is built every generation, <laughs> that it's, uh, it's moving in the, in the self-love direction it's just that some are further along than others and some are really way out there (laughs) when i've been to the beach the uh we don't go often but when i've been to the beach it seems like almost everywhere the the waves come in kind of diagonally to the beach they don't come like straight into you they come diagonally so when you when you uh, when you go out and play in the water, you know you set your you set your umbrella and you set your chairs and you set your ice chest out whatever you have out there you set it up and then you go out in the water to play and you and you find yourself working down the shoreline right. You look up you you look up and you and you expect to see your umbrella and everything right there and it's way down there you've been pushed along you didn't even realize it. And sometimes you even work at trying to stay at stay kind of in front of where your things are in the beach, but you're, it's just pushing you down, pushing you down that way. Um, 
that's how it is with these mega trends you know, in our in our that move the whole culture you know the the current some people are way down there marrying themselves my goodness <laughs> but it's pu- it's pushing everybody and all of us uh, moving in the direction of self love of, of love being uh, shifted away from God shifted away from others redirected to our, ourselves and so that somebody could say look at the somebody from outside the culture like God perhaps could say the love of many has grown cold so how far down the beach have you drifted you know <laughs> how far has the church drifted uh, have professing Christians drifted too well I don't know. You know, we're all in the we're all in the water together, <laughs> and it's hard to tell. But let me suggest some possible indicators. Uh, one of the ways in our church that we've quantified growing as a disciple, and you can see it in the bulletin this area of a week, a growing disciple is one who is worshiping God both privately and with other believers. That's one of the ways we define a growing. That's how you can tell. That's how you can tell if you're a growing disciple. Is that happening? Are you worshiping God with other believers corporately like we do here and then privately also? In other words, we think that one of the marks of being a follower of Christ, active, growing, is spending time, private time, with the Lord, before the Lord, regularly, between Sundays. That's the privately part. Uh, There should be times between Sundays when it's you and the Lord. His word speaks to you without a teacher in between other than the Holy Spirit who indwells. Uh, it, it's when you fulfill all those promises you make when you say, I'll pray for you, you'll be in our prayers. You know, that, when you say, that's when that would happen. Whether you call it quiet time or devotions, it's, it's just, just the private counterpart to corporate worship. And of course people are busy. They're busy. I asked the porters one time, our friends from Nigeria, I asked the porters one time because they, they're sometimes they're gone for a few years. What do you notice? Do you know what do you notice about the culture? You know, because you've gone for a while and you come back. I said, do you notice it becoming more coarse, more you know, kind of sinful? And he said, no, we don't notice that because that's all over the world. He actually, this is a few years ago. He actually said to me, he said, the difference between my kids and yours is mine can mine can cuss in three languages. <laughs> he said, so that's not it. That's not it. We do notice, he said, Stephen Ruth. I can't remember which one said it, Stephen Ruth. But we do notice it seems like almost every time we come back, people are busier and busier and busier and busier. That the line between being at work and at home has been blurred away. You know, they got these electronic things that make you're always at work. And when you're not at work, you're still at work. You know, and all that and running and running and getting in the car and shuttling kids. Kids don't go out and play anymore like it was when we left America the first time. They, they've got to be taken to things, and, you know, it, it's busier and busier. So I know that that's a, you, know, you talk about uh, private time with the Lord. It's a, people are busier and busier, and there are all kinds of distractions now that people in previous generations, or even in our own lives, maybe we didn't have 30, 40 years ago, we didn't have these kind of distractions but for most, I, I, this, is, this has got to be true. 
for most Christians, the number one obstacle to spending time with the Lord is the coolness of our uh, our door <laughs> for wanting to. That's number one. It's the weakness of our love for the Lord, at least compared to other things we might do with that time. I, I, I was listening to John Piper preach recently uh, online, and he said something I identified with it completely. You know, I, I have it. John Piper has this advantage too, but I have an advantage over you in this matter of private devotions. Um, in that I can do it at work and nobody thinks ill of it. But, you know, I can do it at work. If, you know, if you come into my office and I'm obviously doing devotions or something like that, you know, nobody here would think, you slacker, what are you doing? You're on the clock. You're supposed to be, <laughs> they think, oh, that's good. That's probably not the case with you. You've got to find time away from work. But, but uh, I was listening to Piper preach and he, he said, I come, I come into my office and he said and my uh my desk is over there and my chair where i sit and do devotions and read the bible for personally not preparing for sermons or anything and pray is over there and he said the pull of that desk is strong and i thought boy that's exactly right because i got the same situation the desk is over here the chair is over there i, I you know i find i can't do it at the desk very well because you know, the desk is work and there's papers and there, there are things to do, you know, there's away from the, got to get away from that computer screen. Uh, I know exactly what that's like, but, but it's a matter of heart, isn't it? It's the church work is over there and the Lord himself is over there. You know what I mean, not literally the Lord is over there. You know? But it's the time with the Lord is over there in that chair. And my, so in, in that happening, what's the major, it isn't our busyness, it isn't my busyness. The major, the thing that tips it one way or the other is my love for the Lord himself. I'm not going to marry myself, right? <laughs> you know, I'm not that far down the beach. But, you know, you know what I'm saying. Here's a, another. We say a growing disciple is one who's growing in the knowledge of the Scriptures and applying it in daily life. That's, it's in the bulletin, too. Now, at our church here, we emphasize growing in the knowledge of the Scriptures, I think, pretty well. We, we teach, but the application has to do with personal obedience and jesus makes the link between obedience and love direct he says it's a matter of love john 14 15 if you love me you will keep my commandments that's pretty clear linkage right uh 14 23 if anyone loves me he will keep my word Next verse covers the corollary. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. He, Jesus could not be clearer about the connection between our love for him and our obedience 
to his command. So when we ask ourselves, how goes the battle with sin? How goes the battle for sanctification? Jesus says that it has to do with our love for him or our lack of it. This feels like where one of my professors, Brof Hendricks, say, that's too convicting, let's move on. <laughs> but he said, it's con- you know, so how goes the battle with sin is another way of saying, how's your love for the Lord? What's, how strong is it? Uh, witness, how about witness? That w- that's in the bulletin too, by the way. One of the marks of a growing Christian is someone who is uh, sharing Christ with those who do not know him. Now, there are a lot of reasons why Christians have a hard time with witness. Lots of reasons. Well, probably the main thing, nobody likes rejection. Nobody likes rejection. And, and, you know, it's it's hard. You're going to be rejected sometimes. Uh, another, we, we tend to get cloistered in a, in a cocoon of Christian friendships. That's another reason. It's a hard thing, you know, that we, we just don't know unbelievers. Uh, we, uh, some folks really don't know what to say. You know, some Christians are saying, I don't know, you know, I'm not confident that I could really state clearly what the gospel is you know what's the center you know what do i have to say there are people that don't know what to say there's there's people who are afraid that they won't be able to answer basic objections you know like they bring up something they won't be able to answer it and that's a and you need to be able to answer you know peter says so be ready to make a defense but that's a that's a problem so there's a number of reasons why christians often have a hard time with witness but the biggest reason for Christian silence about the gospel is that we do not love those without Christ enough. God so loved that he sent, we so love that we speak. (laughs) That we tell. I mean, you know, if we love people, we will face the risk of rejection. Or here's something. We might look, we might, we may have gotten into a place where we think of all unbelievers as our ideological enemies. Well, fine, Jesus said, what should Jesus say to do with enemies? Love them. I was, this is, this is the case with me, and I'll bet it's the case with almost all of you. I was loved into the kingdom. I would, really, I was loved into the kingdom, more than talked into the kingdom. <laughs> there was talk there, there was content there, I knew the content. But I was loved in, and almost everybody who is in the kingdom was loved in, either it's by a mom and a dad or a relative, a Sunday school teacher, you know, that's in a context. In other words, hardly anybody was, you know, didn't know any Christians at all, and they turned on the TV, and there was a televangelist, and, you know, or so, hardly anybody. It happens, but not often. 
most of the time, most people who are in Christ were loved in. If love grows cold generally, how many more areas of life could be affected? Well, lots of lots of them. You know, I've talked about kind of devotional time with the, the Lord and obedience to the Scriptures, the battle with sin and witness and things. But there are lots of them. You know, and I'm not even going to try to hit them all. Relationships in the church, how we talk about people, work relationships, marriages. How many marriage problems boiled down to an impoverishment, a withering, a growing cold of love. And men, well, Christian men know the central command. You know, it's spelled right out there, husbands love your wives, right? As Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. But, you know, it does go the other way, too. Sometimes think, well, the Bible never tells wives to love their husbands. That's not love their husband. That's not true. Titus 2.4 says young women should love their husbands. They should be taught to do so. Love their, you know, so it's in there. And, and of course, men respecting women is in there too. But it's, so they're not exclusive commands, you know. Wives, see to it, you respect your husbands. Husband, love your wives. It goes both ways. I, I had a counseling situation one time some years ago, a good many years ago, so... I'm not even sure I can remember who, so it's safe. <laughs> the, the wife experienced a breakthrough when she realized that she had a biblical obligation to think about and to relate to her husband as a fellow believer to whom the basic biblical instruction to love one another applied. It, 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 it was a breakthrough for her. That he's not in a special category. He's a fellow believer, and, I, and we're told to love one another. It was a breakthrough. And just to be even-handed about it, I do remember a husband in another counseling situation who thought I was, for a while, for a few weeks or a few months, I don't know what, he thought I was brilliant in my analysis and counsel, because I told them basically, I said, man, you got to love your wife. <laughs> after hearing, you know, after hearing what's going on and everything, you got to love your wife. <laughs> he thought I was brilliant for a while. <laughs> he thought that was, wow, that really, you know, it's like, man, that worked. Uh, a d deficit of love shows up in a lot of different ways. In other words, if, uh, if the love of many is growing cold, if we're really there where that, that the love of many is growing cold, man, we're seeing it, we're living it, we live it in our society, we watch it on the news, it's in our culture. You know, we just, it, that's, yeah, that's the drift away from love of God, away from love of others, refocusing love on ourselves. That's the, it manifests itself all kinds of ways, more than I've mentioned our, our national life, you know, our, our politics. Good grief. <laughs> yes. How neighborhoods work these days. And, and we need more, we need more love for lots of reasons. Not, you know, 
lots of things. It touches just about everything. Now, now, to close, I won't rehearse my arguments about the nature of biblical love. But, so let me just state my conclusions. You know, I, this is kind of a matter of controversy, and I've talked to people in the church and not convinced about what I believe about it, but I, I'm just going to restate it. Biblical, godlike love involves our affections as well as our will. Our affections are well as, as well as our actions. It cannot be reduced to a mere emotion that can't be bothered to do anything. You know, oh, I love you. Will you help me? No, I'm sorry. <laughs> it can't be reduced to a mere emotion, but neither can it be reduced to a determination to do what you would do if you really did love. <laughs> Because some people try to reduce it to an action. You just do the loving thing, that's love. That, no. Prince says you can do that to the utmost, still not have it. You can give your body to be burned. You can give away all your belongings to the poor and still not have it. So, you just, so having love is more than pretending to have love. It is both an affection but an affection that's strong enough to really move you to action. It's both. So what we need in a time of history when the love of many has grown cold and the current is pulling us all in the same direction, <laughs> what we need is not so much to do something, but we need God to do something in us. Because, you know, we can't, we can't turn on our, our affections on or off, right? We can't, you know, we can decide to do the loving thing, but we can't, you know, the, the, the condition of our hearts, you just can't, you just can't uh, turn that on and off. So you need something to happen to, we need something to happen to us, in us, something God does. And so our obedience in this matter of love is not so much okay, I'm going to do the loving, you know, I'm going to do the loving thing. But it's, I'm going to be willing and yielded to what God will do in me if he will do this thing. <laughs> well, here's a biblical, a New Testament phrase, the love of God has been poured out in our hearts. You see, you know, here's the, Lord, the love of many is growing cold and I'm being pulled in the same direction. Pour it fill me up again pour it out afresh give us here's another one revelation give us the love we had at first at least that's where it'll start is being uh, willing open for God to do something in me that I need. You know, we, we know how to spell it, you know. <laughs> we, nobody here is going to jail for not knowing how to spell it. But Lord, help me to live it, right? Help me to live it. 
And I know how to spell it. You know, I need more of it in me. <laughs> more of it in me. Here's another one. New Testament phrase. The love of Christ controls us. <laughs> Let the truth be known, you know. The desk or the chair. The love of something else controls me sometimes. <laughs> we, need, we need the Lord's help at a time when the love of many has grown cold and we haven't been untouched by that. Uh, Father, at a time when the love of many has grown cold as you said it would, as the end of the age approaches and the time of Jesus' return draws closer, pour out the love of Christ in our hearts afresh. Let the love we may have had at first return. Let the love of Christ control us anew. Let us be different as the world around us descends into self-love and hatred for all else. Increase our love for you, our love for the Lord Jesus. Our love for fellow believers. Our love for those without Christ. Love for our enemies. Love for our spouses. Love for our families. Love for our neighbors. And, and may, may that love affect everything about our lives. Our obedience to Christ. Our worship. Our witness. Our homes. Our church. Our neighborhoods. Our communities. Increase the faith, hope, and love of every. Christ follower in this place and out of your great love for the unbelieving grant the grace to believe to any who are without Christ, without hope beyond this fleeting life. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen.